Welcome to the High Fidelity Podcast. I am your host, Bridget Conry, coming to you from the dialed studio at Hula on the shores of beautiful Lake Champlain in Burlington, Vermont. In this episode, we introduce alchemist and chef Fiona Lucia Gennadio Allen. Fiona is the founder of Wolf Peach, an apothecary kitchen located in the Sylvan Hills of Vermont that crafts small batch indulgences to stock your modern pantry and self-care cabinet. We are delighted to announce that Wolf Peach products will be in the mix when we open our retail store this fall. Stay tuned to learn more. Welcome back to the High Fidelity Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, leave a review, and share our podcast with your network. By doing so, you help our show gain a wider audience and compete in a crowded field of podcasts. While you're at it, please sign up for our newsletter at hifivt.com. That's H-I-F-I-V-T.com. We'll keep you up to date with what's on air, what's in store, and what's happening in our neck of the woods, and we promise we won't overdo it. All right. It's our pleasure to bring you this next conversation with Fiona Lucia Gennadio Allen, from here on out, affectionately referred to as Fiona. (laughs) I've thought a lot about what I might say about Fiona, but in the end, I've decided to let her speak for herself because that is what she does best in what is on full display with her brand, Wolf Peach. Wolf Peach was created in 2021 as, quote, a fusion of her passion for food and herbal medicine, flavor and health, revolution and empowerment. In her own words, she is local, seasonal, and decadent as fuck, and we love that about her. We also love Wolf Peach's mission to make tonic herbs delicious and easy to incorporate into everyday meals, coffee, cocktails, and anything else you want to take next level. We're stoked to be Burlington's first stockist of Wolf Peach products at our soon-to-open retail store. So again, sign up for our newsletter and follow us on social for updates for our opening. All right, I went a little nuts in the links for this episode because Fiona gave us a treasure trove of resources. If you are a foodie or into herbs, you're going to want to check these out. More farms are listed on Wolf Peach's website, which you can also find in the show notes. Okay, and finally, before we get into it with Fiona, we're dropping her thoughts on what craft means to her right here. I forgot to ask her in our original conversation, and she was kind enough to shoot it up to me in a separate recording. So... Here you go. Enjoy the show. To me, craft means artisanal. It means quality developed with thoughtful integrity without the compromise that inevitably will dilute industrial production. It's farm-centered, not profit-centered sourcing. It's doing things the better way, even when it's the harder way. And the result is an elevated difference that you can taste and feel, you know? Craft products just have soul. Fiona Lucia Gennadio Allen, thank you so much for being on the High Fidelity Podcast. 
Thanks for having me. Needless to say, um, I'm a fan. <laughs> uh, I think that we first met uh, at the Hotel Vermont Holiday Gift Show. I don't think it was just last year. Um, and it was the first time that I'd seen Wolf Peach, your company, and I was just really excited by the product line, the presentation, and you know the vision and the voice behind your brand. I thought we would start with just kind of like an introduction about you know your background in herbalism and in food and how that evolved uh, to create uh, your new company, Wolf Peach. So I've always been fascinated by herbalism since I was like 18. I had an amazing mentor, Corey Galinas, who taught me so much. And it was always just something in the background that I did uh, to be able to take care of myself and my family. And food has always been a love of mine as well. My mom is an amazing cook and just raised me on really good food since I was really little. So it's always been kind of a muse for me. But it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I finally decided to bridge the gap between those two things. Um, so I worked as a chef for a while in London and then ended up back in Vermont during the pandemic and was grappling with the idea of finding a restaurant to work for. Um, but I always really struggled with ingredients. Like I'm such a stickler for ingredients and I always, you know, I just struggled when people weren't sourcing maybe from all local farms or I'm, I always kind of question like, why aren't we weaving these herbs that are, you know, medicinal herbs, but that are really like superfoods that are safe that, to use in everyday cooking and cocktails. And so I was just felt like that was missing. And when it was, yeah, time to decide if I was going to work at a restaurant, I just decided I needed to, needed to bridge the gap between those two things and start my own company. So Wolf cool. Beach was born. Cool. Well, let's just go back a second. Um, the name of your first like herbal mentor I wasn't familiar that, with that name. Where was this teacher located and where were you learning from at the time? She is, so currently she's in Burlington. She was um, at Willow's Crossing Farm in Johnson. Um, and someone introduced us. She's exactly 10 years older than me, like two days difference. Um, we're both Leos. And anyways, she just took me under her wing and had such a wealth of knowledge Um as a clinical herbalist, as an aromatherapist, um, and as a farmer. Um, so she kind of like took me onto her farm and showed me harvesting and planting and caring for the plants. And then also took me into her apothecary, um, and showed me how to work with them. So yeah, she's now she's still, uh, in business and still an active teacher. Yes, she is. She, and she has an apothecary. Um, she sees clients. She also, leads big retreats. Um, the Medicine Women Retreat is uh, one of her babies, one of her ma many endeavors. So you work with her, but you also uh, went to VCIH, correct? Yes, I did. Um, I went When I landed back in Vermont, I went to VCIH, and that was an amazing, rigorous program. Um, that and is that, was the, did you take their full like clinical herbalist class? I did their family herbalist program. Um, and I decided not to go on to do the full clinical uh, training because I'm not going to be a clinician. Um, I just want to be armed with this knowledge to yeah. be able to make the best products possible. 
Um, but yeah, their, their training is definitely like the best there is. And I learned so much there. Yeah. I think that, um, we, as a herbal community, owe a lot to that school. They put a lot of amazing herbalists out into the world. And we're fortunate mm-hmm. that a lot of them stay close to home. I don't know. There's probably no data on this. But I think that just from my personal experience, it's like Vermont is just so rich with with people full of plant knowledge, you know, whether they call themselves herbalists or not. But we have quite a few herbalists here in the state. And I think it's just fantastic. And they have a lot to do with that. Yeah. Cool. Well, so that was your herbal background. Um, And so on the culinary side, you had your mom as your first teacher. I always kind of say that, too, about my background. We actually have some similar backgrounds, even though we have different paths. I think it's one of the reasons why I'm interested in your company so much is that I, too, brought together the herbs and the food. It's uh, why I got involved in in the cannabis space. Um, but before that, I had been teaching at Goldthread Herbal Apothecary. They had a farm to pharmacy program in the Berkshires, uh, well, in the Pioneer Valley, actually, outside of Florence. And I worked there in the kitchen, bringing all of the medicinal and nutritional herbs into the meals that the students were having every day. And so it really was like a turning point for me of bringing my background in food and herbalism together. I always thought about it like, hey, Compliance is one of the hardest things to work with people on if people are coming to plants for health and wellness. And it's because a lot of times it requires a lifestyle change. Not everybody can get into the habit of making themselves a tea every day or taking an herbal bath or doing herbal steams or all the different ways that you can interact with plants. But we eat three meals a day. So if we can get the herbs and the plants into the food, awesome. It's not adding an extra step. And I like that about your approach at Wolf Peach as well. And I want to talk about that a little bit more. But tell us a little bit about your formal training in the culinary arts, because you shared with me that you um, studied at the, is it the Bally Malou? Is that how you pronounce it? Culinary school in Ireland? Bally Malou, yeah. Bally Malou. I mean, what a fabulous looking place. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It was The best time of my life, first of all. Um, Yeah, I heard about it um, actually on a podcast and was like, wait a minute, it's a 100 acre farm where they have cows, they grow all their own vegetables, um, and there's an amazing cooking school there, like I need to get involved. So (laughs) yeah, it's in Southern Ireland, um, just off the coast, and it's a totally different approach to cooking school, I think, um, than your usual, because it's really, really focused on locality and seasonality. Um, so yeah, when it comes to the slow food movement and, um, just supporting the local economy, they are all the way there. Um, they have a a huge greenhouse there. So they're growing all their own vegetables. Um, you know, they're making their own honey. There's a bread shed where, you know, they're making sourdough every morning at sunrise. Um, they're butchering their own animals. It's like a really holistic space. Um, and they cook amazing food and they bring in the best teachers. Um, so yeah, it's, a the program that I did was three months long intensive every day. Um, you're living with 65 other people and quickly becoming best friends with all of them. They cover a lot of territory in those three months. I mean, it sounds like a fabulous experience. Yeah, it really is. They, it's it's a just cool how full spectrum it is. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. I think nice. it's important for chefs to know, have that intimate knowledge of like where the ingredients come from and why it's so important to source from integral farms. Yeah. I mean, not just for the local economy, but for health reasons too, mm-hmm. you know, to be eating locally and seasonally. Um, yeah, totally. And so many people I think would be like cooking school in Ireland. Like, why would you go there? But it's, it's actually, it's this kind of um, incognito like place. That's a food Mecca. It's amazing. It's sort of similar to Vermont, although they, they just have an ocean around them. So there's a lot more seafood, but like the right. dairy is incredible. All, you know, pasture raised um, dairy, which produces a myriad of amazing cheeses. And yeah, there's so much depth, you know, they have like, um, they don't have a lot of wine growing there, but they have amazing ciders that are like, would blow your mind. And huh. yeah, just the level of artistry that happens is um overlooked by the world but yeah I know we don't think of uh, Irish cuisine as being anything to write home about (laughs) Mm -hmm. but which is interesting uh you know hearing um how similar it is to Vermont um in in certain ways so from there you went to London and you worked in some of the finer dining kitchens and caterers what was that like it was amazing. That's another, it's another space that a lot of people are like, London food, why would you do that? Um, but actually London is amazing. It's, it's like New York for food. When I started, I worked at The Conduit, which is, it's a private members club uh, that's really focused on ecological health and the environment um, and their footprint. Um, so it was really cool to work there. Um and I had an amazing teacher there, Sean Moffat, who will always be my chef. Um, mm. And then I worked at a smaller place called Little Duck the Picklery, um, which is a sister restaurant to the famous Duck Soup. Um, and that was really special. Uh, the head chef at the time, Tom Eagle, I had read his book, um, First Catch, which is amazing. Um, and I was like, I need to learn from this man. So I got a job there. Um, and it's a really, that's another really cool holistic space where they're really making everything in house. Um, we made all our own ferments. We had a wall full of ferments, um, made our own pasta, did cured our meats. You know, we had like curing meats hanging from the ceiling. Um, and it was just, yeah, it would just be me and him behind the line, um, in an open kitchen, you know, it was one room. So everybody was sitting kind of at the counter and all the ingredients are right there. It's like full transparency. Um, so you could really see the full process. Um, and then I worked as, as a caterer for, um, Cager and Co, which that was honestly, surprisingly the space where I learned the most. Um, it's a really special bespoke catering company, Um, where they do really special menus and they're always changing. Um, And yeah, the versatility there forced me to learn so much um, because yeah, we're always doing something new, something challenging, something cutting edge. Um, And, and I got to work with like 10 chefs who were all had an amazing experience in different realms. It's nice to have that 
those different experiences of like working with just one other person in that space, that first space that you were describing, um, where everything's like at your hands and it's just the two of you responsible as opposed to working in a, a team, you know, of 10 to try to get, um, get the meals out, you know, very mm-hmm. different situations. Um, well, that's where you were before you came back to Vermont. Are you originally from Vermont? I am originally from Vermont, born and raised. Born and raised in Jeffersonville? Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's always been kind of back to Vermont. Uh, My family's there. I have amazing friends there. And and obviously we have the best farmers on earth pretty much. So (laughs) (laughs) no bias there. (laughs) Um, So you're coming back to Vermont during the pandemic and that's how Wolf Peach kind of came to be. What were the main things kind of that you brought forward from both the herbal space and your culinary experience, a lot of the words that you were using to describe those experiences, like this, you know, the sustainability and the local and, um, you know, bespoke, um, transparent. Um, those are the words that, that I think of when I think about your brand and your products. I think authentic is another thing that kind of screams <laughs> out from your brand. And so how did that kind of all come to shape um, to create Wolf Peach. And I also want to get into, um, you know, the meaning of the name as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy to look back, um, because I didn't, it wasn't planned really at all. I was always planning on going back to London. Um, and you know, the pandemic just kind of kept enduring. And so I kept being like, Oh, I'll go back next month, next month, whatever. Um, and a friend, uh, her mother, Dunia Muller, asked me to cook um, a seven-course dinner for just 10 of her closest friends. And she gave me free reign to just do whatever I wanted. And it was uh, a really cool challenge. And I infused every course of that meal with herbs, um, all the drinks and all the food. Um, and it was such a fun project for me. It lit me up and Mm -hmm. her kind of just giving me that stage, um, just showed me a little bit more of what it was capable of and what I didn't want to miss out on working in like somewhere else, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, she really, that, that was a pivotal, Uh, moment that dinner and I left it with so much inspiration and was like okay I'll apply to farmers markets whatever I didn't expect to get in um it's competitive and I was kind of late in the game to apply and so I applied and like started having all these ideas for him it's like I'll make focaccia and like sourdough this sourdough that and put herbs and everything you know um and have all these sorry to interrupt you here but you were you didn't have a product line at this point you, had, oh, you no. were just doing like, oh, I'm going to apply to farmer's markets and I'll figure out what I'm going to sell later. <laughs> That's <the> Yes. <laughs> Flying by the seat of my yes. pants, like always. <laughs> oh, I, I applaud that. So what came next? So I applied and yeah. whatever, just started, you know, forming all these ideas in my head and didn't expect to get in and then a month later got in to the farmer's markets and I was like oh shit like yes I these start in one month I need to get it together and so um I didn't sleep for 
I didn't sleep for that month. I didn't sleep for the year afterwards, really. Let's be real. But um, I just, yeah, like tried to get all these ideas that were swirling into my head onto, you know, into a line of products. I was so fortunate to have one of my best friends since kindergarten, Morgan, Morgan Sweeney, now Morgan Self. She was living in Estonia at the time and was going to be coming back for um, her sister's birth. Um, and I was like, yo, you're going to be around. Can you help me start this company? Like, I need you on my team. And she nice. obliged. Um, <laughs> don't know how I would have survived without her. So she was able, she basically co-founded the company with me for the first six months um, just while she was in Vermont. And together we figured it out. Um, learned a lot from failure and we, we started with a huge amount of products like we had all the herbal products that you'll find now you know the bottled jarred salts and oxymels um, etc but we also were doing herbal and herbal sourdough pasta which is psychotic like <laughs> <laughs> making I don't think that I by hand heard of sourdough pasta before <laughs> oh man it's it's a thing um <laughs> You know, yeah, we were doing labna, like a saffron and rose labna. We were doing jean, um, which is like a kombucha made with green tea and raw honey instead of sugar. It was just crazy. Um, <laughs> well, so I just want to get a picture here. So you had a month lead up to opening yeah. <laughs> your first farmer's market and you put together, what are you talking about here? Because your product is mean, pretty big right now, too, you know, considering, you know, it's not huge, but you've got quite a lot going on in your product list. Yeah, so, I think we say got, bigger than that. Like, <laughs> we have like 23 products now. And when we were doing this, we also had the pasta, which was different every week. We did a different pasta. Um, we would do a wild pesto, you know, with like metals yeah. and whatever. And and the cheese, by the way, for the pesto, I insisted on making myself. <laughs> that was a whole other thing. Um, and yeah, the labnas that we did, it was it was wild. Um, yeah, and it sounds it all sounds delicious. That it's a lot to to keep up on a weekly basis, even for a season. Definitely. And it was actually kind of cool because I, the pasta, I'm leaving that to Trencher's farmhouse, <laughs> leave it to the oh, pros yes, yes. Um, now, but it was cool at the beginning that actually drew a lot of people to our table who otherwise would have been like herbs, like what's that now? Like, you right. know, passed on by. So it actually, it served its purpose um, in cool. just kind of, yeah, drawing people, yeah, drawing yeah. people in and speaking their interest in herbs. Yeah. So, well, let's get to the name and then we'll start to kind of dive into the products a little bit. Um, what's the meaning behind the name? I love, I love it when people ask me this. Um, so Wolf Peach, when people, when Europeans were bringing the tomato back to Europe um, around 500 years ago, because little known fact, Italy did not have tomatoes until 500 years ago. Italian cuisine did not have the tomato until 500 years ago yeah that's um, amazing I'm i know potatoes same thing in ireland yeah so when the europeans were bringing the tomato back over to europe it was primarily rich people eating this expensive import and they were eating them off of pewter plates which was in vogue at the time and the acid from the tomatoes was dissolving the lead Ooh. of the pewter and giving people lead poisoning 
Wow. So naturally, they thought this is obviously witches using this fruit to turn people into werewolves. So they stopped eating the tomato, kept them as a Gothic house plant, and made the Latin name Lycopersicum, which translates to wolf peach. I love food history so much. I think knowing these stories adds flavor to the food that you eat. It's like, you know, allows us to kind of dine with our ancestors a little bit. And yes just recognize that we're a part of this greater story. And when I was starting the company, I was I was like toying with different names and I but I always knew this story and I had a dream that I called it Wolf Beach and was like, okay, well <laughs> Done deal. That's that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, it's fitting because it's engaging. It's a little bit edgy. It's intriguing. I think that your voice for your brand is as well. And it's one of the things that I appreciate about your brand is that you really speak your mind about <laughs> a whole bunch of topics. And so just tell us a little bit about that choice. Yeah. I mean, food is political. And you're voting every day with every dollar you spend on on everything, but mm. including the food and the drink that you put into your body. Um, and so, yeah, I think a lot of business protocol would recommend separating those two things. Um, but I think it's all intertwined. And I think that, yeah, it's really important to spend carefully um and yeah just be conscious of who you're supporting um and yeah and who you're not supporting so that kind of weaves into everything that I do and the way that I source everything for Wolf Beach right well what are some of the the more prominent topics that you talk about too where do you feel like you find yourself speaking most often in your brand collateral and in your social media and things like that? Well, when it comes back to that sourcing thing, I think justice for farmers is a really important one. Yeah, I think we're so separated a lot of the time from our food sources and we don't hear these stories or realize the pain that goes into the pine of strawberries from Triscoll, for instance. And so I really want to draw attention to that and kind of um, just use my platform to amplify the voices of the people who are impacted negatively by the food system system. in this country. And in doing that, also sing the praises and champion farms who are doing it differently. And it's more expensive to shop this way, to eat this way, but I want to make people understand why it should be a priority and why it is, it can be accessible and why it's just important as a whole for our community to prioritize sourcing our food from the right sources. Definitely. We'll be right back after a short break. Hey, 
Hey there, it's me again with a friendly reminder to follow our lovely little show wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're really digging what you hear, like the show, review it, and share it with your friends. We'd really appreciate it. Take care, and thanks for listening. Well, let's move on to the different product categories that you have. And, um, you know, as we said earlier, one of the things that I, I love about what you're doing is, you know, you're mixing in these tonic herbs. And the idea is to bring these nourishing local plants into your diet uh, in a way that tastes good, too. I think of these as being ingredients as, uh, and pantry staples, um, just as much as I think of them as being like an herbal product that you would take for your health and wellness. Does that make sense? Does that sound Mm -hmm. about right? Um, And so was the first real focus, the oxymels? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of people don't even know what that is. (laughs) Uh, Can you talk a little bit about their history? I believe that you refer to them as the OG of tinctures. Yeah. Yeah. So, Before alcohol distillation was invented, people would use vinegar and honey to extract the medicinal value from plants and preserve that medicinal value. Um, So it is much like it's sort of that same process as a tincture where you're uh, steeping the herbs in vinegar, getting getting all the good stuff out and then um, and then preserving it so that it doesn't go bad and so that you have it year round. and the thing that really drew me to oxymels, there's a couple of things. One is accessibility. So making making an oxymel, it's not going to have the same potency uh, if, as if you used alcohol to make to extract something um, mm. from a plant. But it does. It is still really potent, and it's way more cost effective. So people can use it more liberally. Um, which is important to me. Um, and also I wanted to be able to use a menstruum that was locally sourced, like fully, um, like there's, there are a lot of amazing distilleries in Vermont, but I wanted to find someone that was actually using products grown in Vermont to make their alcohol or vinegar or whatever. Um, and I was lucky to find an amazing guy, um, Neil, uh, in Verscher who makes the best vinegar ever. So that's kind of what brought me to the Oxymel. The other thing is the flavor. So I was always trying to get my family to take tinctures and they're like, this tastes disgusting. You know, it's so bitter, whatever. They didn't want to take it. It's that compliance piece. It's that compliance piece. Yeah, exactly. And so being a vinegar base and with the honey makes it taste really good. It also makes it really versatile. So People can use this in a salad dressing, in a drink, in a cocktail with alcohol or without whatever. It's really kind of available to anyone. And then the non-alcohol piece is cool, too, because it means that they're available for kids and for sober people to consume. So it, it makes it a more inclusive thing. Definitely. I like taking them out just on their own, too. You know, yeah. Um, so I think that's, as you said, they're super versatile, um, and it is one of the places too. I mean, these oxymel oxymels that you make, um, 
you're selling them to bars and restaurants to incorporate into their um, both their cocktail and their mock, their mocktail menus, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's where you're kind of getting the brand out there, uh, not just in Vermont, but uh, across the country. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think part of what I want to do is draw people in who wouldn't otherwise be inclined um, to be to approach herbalism and by doing it, yeah, with flavor and in a, you know, in a way that's accessible to people like, okay, cool. Like this isn't a cocktail. Right. I understand that. Um, as opposed to what you were saying earlier, like it is hard to make a tea every day. It's harder than you think, you know, to like mm. establish slow that down. practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Number totally. one. Yes. Um, not just to make it, but to drink it, you know, and yeah. then, and then to integrate it afterwards, you know, um, those are the, the three. Cool. Well, what came after that? Was it the was the are the salts kind of the next uh, major uh, popular category in your total mix? Yeah, I think so. They're another thing that's they're just so accessible. Like most of us, we all put salt on our food, um, and so it's a really easy entry level way for people to become acquainted with tonic herbalism. Um, and, and it's an attractive way too. So the salts are colorful. They're, you know, they smell good. They're like, you kind of want to be involved. Um, and that's another thing, you know, like kids love the salts. I have so many parents have come to me and been like, oh my God, my kid, they're so picky, whatever. They'll be throwing a fit and they won't eat what I've made them. And all of a sudden I'll whip out the mermaid dust and be like, okay, I'm putting mermaid dust on it. And magic, the kids will just eat whatever. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I think any of the names in that lineup are going to be attractive to kids. You got the mermaids, the pirates, the dragon, the elf. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, those are all big hits. Um, cool. Um, well, electuaries are one of my... Uh, favorite herbal products. And again, that's a, probably a term that a lot of people aren't familiar with. You want to kind of give us a little rundown on, on what those are and uh, and how people can use them? Yeah, totally. Um, so electuaries are, they're an herbally infused honey, but you're leaving the plant material in the honey um, as opposed to, you know, maybe just like infusing a honey with something and then straining it out just for flavor purposes. This is Mm -hmm. a really medicinal, potent, packed honey. So we get herbs from the farms um, right after they've been harvested and dried And then we immediately powder them and blend them into the honey. Um, And the reason this is important is because of oxidization. So if, you know, if we powdered those same herbs and then just had them in a jar or whatever, the high surface area of those granular little bits of herb, they're going to oxidize and lose their medicinal potency and flavor. Um, much quicker. Yeah. Yeah. And honey is the ultimate preservative. You know, when they opened the tombs in Egypt, the honey was still good. (laughs) Yeah. No, I know. And it's also like, I mean, it's antiseptic, right? In its natural form. mm -hmm. And you can pack wounds if you have to (laughs) um, uh, with honey until you can, um, you know, get the treatment that you need. 
I'm utterly enchanted by honey all the time. Um, but yeah, so we make like the electuaries are great because you can just, instead of having to steep that cup of tea and like, you know, you know, with our tea blends, we recommend you steep it for eight hours to really get all the minerals. Um, mm-hmm. But with an electuary, the honey kind of does that for you. And then you can just take a spoonful, dissolve it in hot water, spread it on toast, whatever. And you're just like automatically going to get the vitamins and minerals. And by not straining the plant material out, then you really do get the full spectrum of the, the vitamins and minerals. Um, and it's cool too, because with a tea bag, you know, the herbs in that tea bag might have been harvested five years ago and been, you know, packaged and whatever and sitting in a cardboard box on a shelf for years. Yeah. So the potency of that is just not really comparable to if you pack that into honey and meat like soon after it's been harvested and dried. Um, Yeah, I feel the same way about capsules that you're buying off the shelf in a store, unless it's from a a local manufacturer and and you know when the manufacturer and harvest date was. It's always a crapshoot as to how old those herbs are. If they've come in from another country and were like irradiated, that's part of the customs process. Mm -hmm. All kinds of things could have happened to those potted herbs along the way, unless you're doing what you're doing with getting the plants directly from the farmers, powdering them and putting them directly into this natural preservative Mm-hmm. Who are that? Do you want to give a call out to some of the farms that you work with? Oh, always. <laughs> um, so Zach Woods Herb Farm um, is always the first on my list that I used to work there. I know those guys well. They wrote the book on uh, organic herb farming. Yeah, Melanie and, and Jeff, right? Is yeah. Melanie and Jeff, yeah. Yeah. Um, and their daughter, Lily. Yeah, I owe so much to them. Um, when we were first starting out, they would let us glean things and just like really were so supportive. Um, and they grow amazing, amazing products. And it's like four miles down the road from our kitchen. So it doesn't, nice. get, doesn't get much more local than that. Um, so they're amazing. Generation Herbs um, up in Craftsbury. I love her products. It's we get all our thyme, rosemary, um, some of our lavender from her, and it's just the the color, the vibrancy, the flavor, the scent is just unparalleled. It's amazing. Um, and those are cool ones to source locally, too, because it's just, you know, those are things that we use very often, rosemary and thyme especially. Um and, and they are things that often when you get in the store, they're kind of like brown and woody, you know? Um, totally. And yeah, hers are just magic. Um, we love Hillside Botanicals. Um, we love I'm all our sea buckthorn. This isn't in any of um, the honeys, but it's the everything for the nectar of the gods. That's from Perfect Circle Farm um, in Berlin. Um, yeah, there's there's so many farms. And there's more and more popping up. And we owe a lot of that to Jeff and Mel, which is really special. Um, right, because they've been uh, sharing their knowledge, uh, helping yeah, people understand totally how to grow herbs organically. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, rounding out the product line here, you've got, in addition to the oxymels, the salts, and the electuaries, you have some traditional bitters um, and some tinctures that are focused on stress and mental clarity primarily. 
mm-hmm. on the tincture side with razor sharp and armor clad. And those are alcohol based, right? They are. And I only decided to make them because Neil, who I get the vinegar from, his business partner, Sebastian, he makes an apple brandy from Mm. apple, like wild heirloom apple varieties. They grow together, grown in Vermont, which is what I was really looking for. So those are special. Those are special elixirs too. And the flavor of the brandy too um, seems to be more appealing to people who otherwise are like on the fence about tinctures. Right. Yeah, it's got a bit, bit of a sweetness to it, probably, that, mm-hmm. that helps with some of those other flavors that the American palate is generally not too excited about. Yeah. <laughs> like the, those bitters in particular, which I love, you know, but I think I've even grown to love bitters. I think it's like one of those things where you like gradually get to know them. It's one of the things that I always kind of liked about the Urban Moonshine line of bitters is they had like the beginner blend that had like maple and then they had like the standard one which was like a citrus and then then the the artichoke one at the end was like the really strong one you can kind of just work your way up and train your your palate to not just tolerate it but actually enjoy it Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so i'm sure the brandy helps a little bit with um with uh, acclimating people to some of the flavors of the plants that you've got in those tinctures, which is very cool. Again, um, helping people to enjoy taking their, quotes, medicine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So, cool. Um, We're getting close up on time, and I want to address a couple other things, but you do have um, some excellent hot sauces that you do, too. I mean, what is it, the Foxy Cleopatra one that you get your berries from... At least the last batch uh, that I had was from Adams Berry's Farm, mm-hmm. um, which are delicious. Uh, and then the raw cacao, which is kind of like a spread. Um, and where are you sourcing your um, cacao from? So I sourced that from Kyle Burroughs um, of Burroughs Chocolate in Burlington. And he gets it from an heirloom a farm that grows heirloom cacao in Ecuador. Um, and it's a single source. That's a cool medium for herbs because yeah that was kind of like for my mom my mom was like no herbs she doesn't drink cocktails whatever I'm like okay it's in chocolate like (laughs) you must take it you can stir this into your coffee like yes and these are they're delicious they're they're like spreads this is like really amazing raw cacao which has a lot of nutritional like it's a superfood on its own Mm -hmm. and then you're mixing it with these um other ingredients um to help with your um health as well and they're just really yummy again like by the spoonful or spread on toast or with yogurt or as you said in like coffee um so a really fun and nutritious product at the same time spoonful of chocolate helps the medicine go down (laughs) we like that Cool. Well, you have a lot of, I mean, you use a lot of different herbs uh, and plants in your products. Um, you know, and there's some that overlap. Uh, a lot of them are tonics. I guess we should talk a little bit about like what a tonic is. I mean, how would you explain a, a tonic to somebody who wasn't like um, into the herbal lingo? Well, tonic herbs are herbs that are safe for everyday use for most anyone. So I kind of think of them as superfoods. It's not something where you have to like work with a professional to figure out your dosage or be careful of or that might interfere with a medication or something. So that safety makes it more accessible, I think, to 
to the population. And so what are the common ones that you use in different places throughout your product line? Um, so rose is a huge one. Um, rose is helpful on so many different levels for the gut health, for emotional health. And it's just, you know, it's a, people just tend to love rose. So I use rose a lot. Um, the sea buckthorn berry is, you know, the nectar of the gods is definitely our flagship product. And, you know, it's one of the number one sources of vitamin C in the world. And it's not native to Vermont, but it grows really well in Vermont. And we have access to that. So I love championing that. Nettle is a huge one. Um, Nettle grows almost all over the world and people can get it free. They can go harvest it themselves or they can get it from amazing farms like Exact Woods. But it's just so packed with nutrients and getting that into your diet every day can do a lot for you. Yeah. It's one of my favorite plants. I mean, I have it in all kinds of tea blends. It shows up in in tinctures that I like. I throw it into soups, you know, in Mm -hmm. stocks, pesto. I mean, there's so much that you can do with that one. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, Calendula is another one that's like, you know, we put that in almost all of our salts. Um, It's just, it's such a nice gut healer that we should kind of be incorporating all the time if we can. Um, It's such a generous plant too. I mean, if you grow calendula, it's always amazing how many flowers every plant will give you, you know, if you're taking care of, even if you're not taking care of it, such a hardy plant. I've seen it growing in lots of different um, situations, whether it's in a garden or like in a potted plant, a porch, and there's just always just ever blooming during their season and they're gorgeous. Um, Mm -hmm. hmm. Cool. Well, what are your plant allies? Um, you know, that you, you have all these in your products as an overlap. Are these some of your favorite plant eyes too? Or what plants are you kind of working with right now for your own self-care routine? Yeah, I mean, that definitely, it definitely overlaps. Um, the Nectar of the Gods, I can't really do a day without that. <laughs> um, oat has always been a really big one for me. Um, I haven't actually been working with that as much lately, because I'm not as stressed. (laughs) Um, But in terms of like, yeah, stress and starting a business and whatever, that was always a potent one for me. So milky oat tops, also oat straw. Um, So we have, yeah, we use those. We kind of incorporate that into a few of our different products, Um, but you could also eat oats, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's a, that's the same plant and it's a, you know, different potency maybe, but it's, a good way to get um, get yes. some herbal medicine into your diet. Yep. And cacao, I thrive on that. I don't really drink caffeine. And so that kind of like gives me, gives me power during the day. Love that. And then also I love to sing the praises of microdosing psychedelic mushrooms. So just a tiny bit, you know, not enough to feel, but enough to kind of just help your brain work yeah. optically. You know, that, I'm glad you bring that up because that is definitely something that I feel like our audience and our, our future customers in our store are experimenting with that already or they're very curious about it because there's a lot of talk about it um, in the news right now, whether you're microdosing or um, actively participating in like psychedelic-assisted therapies. Um, and so, you know, if you're open to it and wanted to say a little bit more about it, I mean, when you say a little bit like what is a microdose, you know, to you? How do you think of a microdose and 
Is this something that is done daily or is it on a certain schedule or is it as needed? How are you finding it supporting you in, in your life? Um, yeah, so for me, it's I get capsules. Um, so it's very like it's pretty regimented. It's a 0.01 um, grams of mushrooms are in each capsule. Um, so it's truly like you shouldn't feel it is the point. Um, and I don't do it every day. It kind of will lose its effectiveness if you do that. Um, I kind of just do it as needed. I know that some protocols say do it every other day. Um, right. Some protocols recommend like th- uh, four days on, three days off, I think. Um, and that I think is more if you're maybe like working with a specific thing or treating depression. Um I kind of use it to just like light up my day if I'm like going to have a big, big work day and be navigating a, a lot of different challenges that kind of just helps. Yeah. Boost right. my productivity and creativity as well. Yeah. And so when you say you don't feel it, what you're saying is that there is no like hallucinogenic or that sort of like psychedelic experience. It's more of a, of energy and focus and creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of just like making your brain synapses like work better, yes, more efficiently. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's kind of like I say, it's like oh, at the end of the day, I'm like oh, I had a great day. Oh, right, I took that. Cool, you know. Well, your products, possibly depending on when we open, we may be the first retailer in Vermont who's selling your products, and you know we are going to be a cannabis retail retailer eventually as well. I'm just curious, has has cannabis ever been in your personal apothecary? Yeah. So I don't, I don't use cannabis really. It's just never really been my thing. I occasionally will, will dabble, but it's not a regular thing for me. Um, but it has been an incremental instrument in my career and it's a long story, but I've really, I could never have afforded to be doing what I'm doing. I couldn't have afforded to live in London on minimum wage, working as a chef, or to have paid for cooking school in the first place if it wasn't for that plant. Um, I spent a decade in the cannabis industry making supplemental income to support the education that's the foundation for this business. So, it afforded me a lot of privilege, uh, privilege that came with great risk um, before its legalization. And um, yeah, some narrow yeah. escapes, but yeah. that's a story for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, thanks for sharing it here. I mean, I think it's important for people to understand that your story is unique, but it is a common story and that there have been a lot of people who have worked with this plant in order to supplement their day-to-day, you know, and have operated in that legacy market and how common that actually is. And I think that it's just really important to get that out into a normal conversation. <laughs> um, so thanks for sharing that with us. I'm just curious, too, when you say it's not really your thing, you know, and you are an herbalist. And again, I mean, we've always said this too, and it's why we don't want to just sell cannabis um, because it's not for everybody. Um, was it just that you didn't find a, a cultivar or product that worked for you? You know, I mean, some people just have very negative experiences with cannabis as a plant. Um, and was that the, the case for you? Are you very sensitive to it? 
I think I am pretty sensitive to it. I one thing is I don't like being I don't like getting like tired and I get really tired with cannabis. So that's mm. one thing. Um I have definitely taken like way too strong of an edible more than once. <laughs> yes. Yeah, which can be very off-putting for future yeah. use. Um but I'm not again, I'm not opposed to it, you know, and I think in terms of like when I really need to like shut off my brain and go to sleep, it probably is something I should lean on more. Um, right. Well, it's legal now, so it's there. Yeah. <laughs> and now we have stores where you can go in and yes. hopefully talk to people who might be able to help you navigate the product so that you have the experience uh, or the greatest potential of having the experience that you're looking for. Yeah. Um, Cool. Well, we got to wrap it up here because we're, um, we're out of time, but I did just want to ask you, and I know that we already kind of just talked about some of the plants that you use for your own self-care. I mean, you're making these products every day. You're taking them. That is part of your self-care routine, but you are a busy uh, woman, entrepreneur out there kind of breaking down doors and... Um, you know, there's a lot of stress that comes along with that, possibly. What are you doing right now to take care of yourself outside of um, consuming your own products? Eating protein. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm on a crusade about protein. Um, because really, we're supposed to be getting our weight in pounds in grams of protein every day which is little known fact and it's yeah. a lot of protein, but I think it makes such a massive impact. Um, and especially that's especially important at breakfast time. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to get 30 grams of protein minimum every meal. Um, that's, that's huge for me. Um, and so how, what does that, what does that feel like? Like how long have you been doing it and what, what are you feeling as a result? I mean, I've always been, I've always leaned towards that. I've always been like, I want, you know, savory, savory stuff for breakfast. I want tacos for breakfast. Um, but when I started like really counting that and like making, like just kind of figuring out like how much is 120 grams of protein or whatever, um, what does that look like? It's made a really big difference in my like focus. I'm just, I'm not like, I'm not having crashes hmm. ever, you know, um, I feel way stronger physically and yeah, just like robust mentally when I sit down and have a big work day on my computer, I'm like, I just have that kind of grounded focus. Um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's, that's a big one. The other thing, salt your water. <laughs> Another <laughs> one of my crusades, um, just a little bit, a little pinch. So like I, I do our mermaid dust. I put a little bit of that in my water. I never drink water without salt. Um, and that's just for hydration, any, for healthy mm -hmm. hydration. Yep. Yes. Any high quality sea salt, just a tiny pinch. You're not going to taste it, but it ionizes your water and your cells will more readily absorb the, absorb the moisture. And it's an easy, cheap thing that everyone should be doing. Cool. Well, they could use some of your infused salts too, right? Yeah. For yeah. That that's purpose. what I do. It's nice because, you know, the mermaid dust has rose in it. So it's pretty and... There's got, it's got seaweed and calendula, which are good for your gut too. So, Cool. Full awesome. Spectrum. Nice. Well, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your story and um, 
and teaching us about your products. We're super excited excited to be selling them in our store soon. And good luck with uh, growing your business. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks go out to my creative crew at High Fidelity, Olaf Willoughby and Shane Lynn, and to the team at Syntax in Motion for producing this show. A special shout out to Will Davis, my sound engineer. Thanks to you for listening to us today. If you enjoy what you heard, subscribe on our website, hi5vt.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Better yet, like, share, rate, or leave a comment. You can request topics or interviews for our show by emailing us at bewell at hi5vt.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until then, be well and have fun out there.